when things are feeling so polarized right now, if, if we can find ways for us to work together for the common good, uh, which is a value that I think most, if not all, religious groups hold in common, then I think we are stronger. This is another episode of a special series called Enough for All of the podcast Walk, Talk, Listen. This series sheds light on 75 years of an NGO called CWS. My name is Mirit Bloom and I welcome you to another episode of Walk, Talk, Listen. Good day, everybody. This is another episode of the podcast about uh, Church World Service. Um, I'm really delighted to, because this is actually a special uh, episode where I have two people of the same family, a father and daughter. And, and uh, as, as usual, I would ask them to introduce themselves. So maybe, Dennis, can you uh, start and tell a little bit about yourself and yeah, what you did for CWS? Okay. Uh, I'm Dennis Metzger. Uh, I worked for Church World Service in two spells or two episodes, you might say, from 1969 to 1974. I was uh, with Church World Service overseas in Vietnam doing relief and development work during the American War there, the use of Vietnamese terminology. And then I left Church World Service, but came back in 1979 and worked until 2016 in the fundraising efforts in Mid-America. I was for, for a number of years responsible for the crop hunger walks in central and southern Illinois. And then after that switched to uh, major donor work in, we'll just call it mid-American. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and yeah, I mean, the listeners have heard me say this already, but I, for me, you know, coming originally from the Netherlands, I was really flabbergasted when I realized uh, the crop hunger walks and, and, you know, how many people are involved and, and uh, for so many years and volunteers that refuse to go on vacation because they have to, you know, uh, volunteer both for the crop hunger walk as well as for the food banks where they uh, are on a regular basis. So this is pretty, pretty amazing. Um, yeah, Madeline, can you uh, sure introduce yourself? Sure. So um, I'm Madeline Metzger. I worked for Church World Service for six years from 1999 to 2005. I held a number of roles while I was there, but uh, primarily, I served as the interpretation specialist for campaign communications and then the foundation and corporate gifts associate. Um, as I said, I, I left church world service in June or July 2005, and since then I've been at Everance Financial, which is formerly known as Mennonite Mutual Aid and Mennonite Financial Federal Credit Union, and I work as the vice president of marketing here. Yeah, it, it, that's pretty amazing. Can you, can you maybe share a little bit about what you're doing now? Sure. So Everance Financial is a national comprehensive financial services organization that is actually also a fraternal benefits nonprofit 501c8 organization. It was one of the last organizations to be granted 501c8 status in the U.S. And so... What that means is while we have some entities that are for profit, we have other entities that are nonprofit and the money that we would normally pay in taxes if we were a completely for profit organization are funneled back to our members and the communities that we serve. 
So we do everything from banking services to financial planning to um, we have our own socially responsible mutual fund family. And we have over 20 offices across the US and I'm based out of our corporate headquarters in Goshen, Indiana. Great, cool. Yeah, I, I, yeah I'm, I'm fascinated by the work that you, you do. So was, thanks, thanks a lot, uh, you know, explain. And I, I would really encourage people to, to Google you and, and check out you know, some of the presentations that you have given oh, about you. the work. So, so uh, yeah, um, thanks. Um, Dennis, I, I know, you know, you're one of the old timers, so you have to, you are going way back, but do you still remember when you heard for the first time about uh, Church World Service? Well, I think it must have been uh, in when I was in Brethren Volunteer Service orientation and beginning to think about project placement as a volunteer performing my alternative service under the uh, selective service system of the United States Armed Forces as it existed in those days. I was a conscientious objector and available for work contributing to the public good done under civilian leadership. So uh, I expressed interest in serving in Vietnam and the Church of the Brethren turned to church world service. So that would probably have been the first time I'd heard about church world service as a distinct entity. Yeah, and, and Vietnam became, a, I mean, it's a very special place for for your for this family, right? So so uh, can you explain I, yes, a little bit I, about that? I I went out single and came home married. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and and <laughs> so as you know, Madeline, when I asked you the question when you heard for the first time, it was probably, you know, you were still in the womb, right? <laughs> yeah, most likely. I don't remember a time not knowing about church world service. Yeah. I mean, I um I tell people that I'm a church world service kid. Uh, even though I'm not a kid anymore, but you know, um, it's like pastors' kids and preachers' kids kind of have um, an understanding, and they call themselves PKs. I'm mm -hmm. a CWSK. You know, <laughs> <laughs> it's the first time I hear it, but I like it. Yeah, I, I more research about how many we have. <laughs> that would be interesting. Dennis, you know. Yeah, you know, if I ask you, what do you like about the work of CWS? Um, what would be your answer? Or, or maybe you're saying, well, I'm fed up with them. <laughs> That's also, <laughs> you can also share that. <laughs> no, not at all. Uh, I, uh, I managed to work for Church World Service until I retired. I think uh, as I've thought about it, couple of things I like about Church World Service. Uh, Church World Service works to develop leadership. We could uh, think perhaps about the story, the history of our work in Pakistan, where it started out as a Church World Service owned and directed operation because of the in part because of the weakness of the churches there, I presume, in, in, in that society. Mm -hmm. But it progressed over the years to the point that it's now a completely independent organization mm -hmm. functioning on its own and with significant funding from Europe, way more than Church World Service was ever able to give them. Yeah. Or more recently, the work in Cambodia, the work with Cambodian organizations. And we, we were working not only on how to grow vegetables and how to provide water that was safe to drink, but we were also offering courses for them in volunteer organization board development. Why? why they might want to have a board of directors for their little organization, 
and how we saw that as important and how they went about accomplishing that task was a part of an integral part of what church world service was doing mm -hmm. in various provinces in, in Cambodia. So church world service focuses on leadership development and is in it for the long haul. Mm -hmm. We, particularly in our domestic disaster uh, work, we, we used to stress the fact that after a, a tornado, there would be several groups that would show up the next day. It might take two, church world service two weeks to get there, but we were going to be there two years down the road when the rest of these organizations were going to be long gone. No, and, you know, while you were explaining, I was thinking about two two things. I mean, one is, you know, similar to, to me, um, you, you know, you've worked in the field as well as, you know, on, on the on the fundraising side so that's what we have in common and um I, I i never really realized that until you just you were just explaining it and the other thing what 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 strikes me is that you're still talking about we after your retirement which is <laughs> it's just probably what i'm going to do as well i'm afraid so so it's it's definitely uh yeah you know um i i the way I explain it, and I don't want to put words in, in your uh, mouth, but I, I felt that CWS in many ways was a family organization, which um, has, has its downsides. But the upside is that, you know, during um, a crisis like the pandemic of the last year, I think we were able to, you know, to stick together um, and, and better the storm. Um, you know, in, in, in different ways than, than some of the other organizations because, because of that feel and the way you, uh, we do our work. So um, anyway, that's, that's my um, kind of little observation. M Madeline, um, are your uh, views about the work of CWS similar or, or different? Um, I would say they're probably fairly similar. Um... One of the things that I have always appreciated about Churchill Service is that the organization is focused on uh, partnership and empowerment. So it's it's not an organization that, and I'm not trying to throw shade on any other organization, but it's Churchill Service has never been one to be interested in just putting a Band-Aid, a short-term Band-Aid on a problem. And it's also not been an organization interested in swooping in and being like the Western world savior to everyone else who has problems, but, but more, more so wanting to be a long-term partner to provide opportunities and resources to help, um, help our global neighbors um, you know, fulfill their purpose in life and and to care for themselves and their families and their communities in in a very empowering self-sufficient way yeah i wanted to show you you know to remind you of um the book that was published when when cws um celebrated is 50 years 50 year anniversary and the subtitle or the title of the book was 50 years of help and hope now if you would be asked to write a book about 75 years what are some of the keywords you know that you would use in the title of that particular book mm, that's a good question uh, i would probably use words like um, compassion and faith in action. Those are what come to mm. me top of mind. Dennis? Well, I come back to leadership development. That was, mm. as I thought about this a little in preparation for mm -hmm. our time together, leadership development came, came up strongly for me. 
try to provoke discussion a little bit. So in terms of the of the leadership development within the organization, were we as good as in in you know externally? And what I mean with externally, you know, programs overseas. How was that within within the the staff structure? Which one of us are you asking? <laughs> no, both of you. <laughs> <laughs> um, I th I think that I entered into churchill service at uh, at a time when it's very different from employment opportunities right now, because you know the the baby boomer generation, which is the generation that my dad is part of, mm -hmm. uh, was still in their uh, their prime employment years and peak earning years, um, and and also was a generation that was very loyal to their uh, employers and their career paths that those employers provided. And so there wasn't a lot of turnover at Trustworld Service, which from a, an employment retention perspective is amazing and great. Um, that's something that Churchill Service can celebrate. Unfortunately, though, for, for people um, for people of my generation and younger, uh, it, it, it didn't always create a lot of opportunities for us to, to advance our careers because there wasn't a lot of turnover in staff. And uh, ultimately, that was one of the reasons why I decided to leave Churchill Service, which was a really difficult decision for me because I, I felt strongly about the mission and the work but I did ultimately end up deciding to leave Churchill Service so that I could increase my, my skills and pursue opportunities career-wise and, and actually uh, personally too, because I, I, I have been blessed to work for organizations where I feel like I feel like I'm being called to work for something bigger than myself. No, and thanks for sharing it. And I think, you know, in, in a kind of retrospective of, you know, this, and that's this moment, it, it's, it's good to realize because actually, you know, 75 years, if you look at something similar is happening, right? So uh, in terms of, of a younger generation coming in and, you know, uh, more senior people <laughs> like myself still being around. So, so definitely, um, yeah, no, th thanks for that. So that's, that's um, um, yeah, I think it's an important aspect of, of what has happened and the organization needs to learn from that. And, and I, I think in some ways, sometimes we are doing a little bit better than, than uh, at that time when you were with Churchill Service, but it can still further improve. Dennis, anything to, to add? Well, I think... Madeline is, uh, is spot on uh, from the time that I began in church world service fundraising stateside in 1979. There's been very little expansion and growth of staff in that aspect of church world services work. It's I mean, I can remember when we opened the office in Florida, the crop, crop walk office in Florida, but uh, I can remember when we reopened the office in Denver. But basically, the, the challenge of, of fundraising has been great and has required innovation and change and has resulted in a shrinking of our staff dedicated to fundraising, which makes even for those of us who've got quite a bit of history, it made for minimal opportunities for advancement. And 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 um, no, no, so I, I, I will not disagree there. I, I think where Especially, we are still, um, how do you say, the benefiting from the work of your generation, Dennis, is, is in terms of the, uh, 
how do you call that the major um, the plant giving and uh, because of a lot of investment that was done during that time and we are still benefiting from that and uh, and that's we are not, we are not that uh, strong um, so I'm I'm worried for you know in terms for the for the future so so we are definitely if you know we are yeah we are benefiting of all the work that you you and your colleagues did during that of that particular generation so um and and yeah i mean a lot a lot has happened over time in in fdm or cfer before uh in trying to make it more effective um because of yeah budget constraints etc um, how do you get more return out of investments um yeah I, you know it's, it's those had were difficult decisions and and in terms of because I think the relationships that we had with the community were more than fundraising. They were also about education and, you know, mm -hmm. grassroots advocacy. And that relationship that you don't have anymore, you feel that, uh, of course, ultimately as well. So. Okay, a totally different uh, question. And I, I know at least with you, Madeleine, it will resonate because you know you and your husband are into music. Um, if I would ask you a um, song or a piece of music that represents CWS for you, you know what what is the piece of music or the song that you would come up with, and why? Uh, so the song that I would come up with is probably it'll probably sound kind of odd, um, but Phil Collins in the air tonight. Mm -hmm. Um, even though I know that it was written, actually, he wrote it about a divorce, and that's not why it, it resonates <laughs> for me with about churchill service, but there's something about the lyrics in that song that have always made me um, kind of feel like the swelling in my chest about how important it is for us to have compassion for others and to, mm. and to reach out and help others, even when it's, it may seem dark or scary or um or risky or uncertain and i i don't for some reason every time i hear that song it um it kind of it conjures up those feelings for me which are many of the feelings why i think church world service the mission and the work of church world service is so important in this world mm -hmm. so uh while it's certainly not what phil collins had intended when he wrote those lyrics for some reason that's why that's what it makes me think of and and feel when i whenever i hear it i only know the, the, the first two lines of the, of the song so i will check it out so so yes yeah, th thanks for that so um um, Dennis, you have a piece of music or a song. May you, uh, what would, you know, embody CWS for you? I've come up dry on this one. I do remember a Crop Hunger Walk promotional video mm -hmm. that closed with some amateur singers in Burlington, Iowa singing a song that used to touch my heart, but I can't remember even the lyrics or the music or the title of the song anymore. Okay. I, you know, whenever something uh, happens like that, I, my go-to person is Joanne Randall. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I will explain it to Joanne and she will start, she will know it or she will start looking. So- Talk about uh, someone who has institutional history yeah. Joanne's definitely one of them. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely, yes. Um, yeah, we, we also joke. I mean, it's, it's, she's probably also what you would call a you know, CWS um, child, um, you know, similar to... Yeah, yeah, that's said. right. Yeah. Her, her mother used to work in the Elkhart office. Mm -hmm. Exactly, yeah. Um, when, when I'm asked to, you know, kind of describe the, the growth or the evolution of CWS, I, I will say, you know, it started as a, as a Christian U.S. organization uh, trying to work ecumenically. And I think it has evolved into uh, a more global organization uh, that is interfaith. And, um, you know, some people agree with me and, and some people don't. So, so what is your reaction when you hear me describing that? I, yeah, I do have some thoughts on that. Yes, go. So, um, 
I actually wondered if that was the direction that church world service was moving towards when uh, a handful of years back, you all did a, a brand refresh. So again, you know, I work in marketing and, mm-hmm. um, and, and my organization has gone through a rebranding mm-hmm. in um, the last 10 years. And so when, when church world service did a brand refresh, which included, you know, changing your web URL to CWS Global mm-hmm. instead of Church World Service. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I couldn't help but wonder, is this a signal of a direction that they are moving more towards interfaith rather than Christian, strictly Christian ecumenical work? And honestly, I I would support that. I I don't know if that was part of the, the decision because I wasn't at church world service at the time and in those rooms making those decisions. But I think that um, for most of our history as a society, religion has been a vehicle both for freedom and for marginalization and oppression. And yet God tells us that we're to love our neighbors as ourselves. And particularly when things are feeling so polarized right now, if, if we can find ways for us to work together for the common good, uh, which is a value that I think most, if not all religious groups hold in common, then I think we are stronger when we address and work to find solutions related to hunger and poverty and displacement and, and, and solutions related to justice Mm-hmm. And um, because after all, we are all here, we're sharing a common life together mm-hmm. as as humans, whether we practice the same religion, whether we have the same beliefs and values or not, we are all here together and we are sharing a common life together. And I think it's in it, it's it's a, it's natural for us to work together. I think I think regardless of our faith background, that's that's. That's just a basic tenet mm-hmm. of living in community. Yeah. No, I, I and again, this is, you know, Marie speaking, I, I don't think you're, you're wrong in this observation. I think it's, it's also not strange if you work in many countries and you know that we work with, for and with, you know, all religions and non-religions. Um, so if you are expanding your table, then, you know, you come up with something that will work for, for everybody, so I think it's I think church will service can be proud of, of that that happened because, you know, I, I think if you go back to the mission, that's what it was aiming for. I, I would like to to piggyback a little bit on on the branding and the marketing because that is your uh, um, background um, as well. Um, you know, we are again in the middle of this conversation because after seven, you know, we are celebrating seventy five years, looking at ourselves, and. Um, what we identified is that we have difficulties in reaching out to a younger generation. And, and uh, so this younger generation, you know, how do you reach out to them? Because our supporters are still, you know, 67, 68 years old, um, you know, and, and we are very thankful for that. But if you think about the sustainability of the organization, you need to start engaging with this younger generation. And um, so when we were looking at the, working on this with a company uh, what came across is that if we are interested in this younger generation and we identified that younger generation as the global humanitarian a person uh, that is uh, actually still uh, on the high end of the millennials and a younger uh, gen x so not really the young young so so um, then you know the word church is often uh, problematic not our values but church, uh, it doesn't even open the door. So we have this have had discussions about changing uh, the name, um, and you know certain board members are in favor, and others are against. Certain staff members are in favor, and others are against. Um, so it's it's not an easy discussion. I, I just want to hear, you know, yeah, well, what do you think if ultimately uh, church world service would change its name? Um, I think that that I mean it's a that's a challenging decision because not only do you have to think about uh, how best to position the organization in the minds of prospective donors and supporters, mm-hmm. but you need to think about 
how much brand equity you already have built in in the name Churchill service. And you know, in this case, you have 75 years of brand equity mm-hmm. built into, into the Churchill service identity. So that can be a really challenging discussion to have, much less decision to make. Um, you know, my organization, 10 or 11 years ago, we rebranded. We went from having Mennonite very prominently in our name to to going with a name that um, is more of a a vessel that uh, people can fill um, themselves, going from MMA or Mennonite Mutual Aid and Mennonite Financial Fertile Credit Union, Financial Credit Union, to Everance is... um, that was a big change for us. And, and we like Churchill service had staff and board members who had different opinions and we had members and clients who had different opinions. Ultimately though, we decided that um, because we did want to broaden our reach and, 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 and build more awareness and, and work with, um, with more people, which we were already doing, but, we found that while we had a lot of brand equity in our previous names, it was hindering us from reaching um, others that we knew that we could help. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but that's a that's a very one size does not fit all. So each organization needs to approach it very intentionally with 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 uh, very deep conversations and research and. Um, before they they just decide, well, this other organization changed their name, maybe we need to do that too. It can be challenging, but I, I do understand what you're saying. The the younger generations, you know, starting, I'm I'm on the younger end of Gen X. Um, but yeah, so starting with with Gen X, but even more so with the millennials and and now Gen Z, uh, they actually have a very strong value set and a very strong desire to um, to be global citizens and to make a difference and to improve the human experience. What is different is, like you said, they are less inclined to attend church. Um, the The numbers of people claiming to be spiritual but not religious continue to rise. Um, and that in large part is due to the younger generations and changing mindsets related to religion. And then as a result, the younger generations are not loyal to the church or to church-related organizations like, like the previous generations have been. So the traditionalist generation, which was the generation before baby boomers, you know, they, they felt like that was part of their responsibility was to support the church and to support church programs. The younger generations feel less inclined to do that. Instead, they're going to look for opportunities to fund the things that they personally feel strongly about. So if Church World Service is doing a water program and another organization is doing a water program and they and that's you know something that they want to be a part of, they may not think, well, last time I gave to Church World Service, I'm going to keep giving to Church World Service. They're just looking for opportunities to be part of that. Mm-hmm. And, and they're less loyal to which organization is doing it. Yeah. And so those are all considerations that if I were talking to, mm-hmm. to the Church World Service Board and, and staff that I, I would say, these are all, it's very multidimensional. There's a lot of layers to it. And it's not, it's not a decision that you should just make on the back of a napkin. Mm-hmm. And, and maybe the younger generation, I, mean, I think your observation is, is correct that the younger generation maybe is less inclined to be, um, is faithful the right word, uh, you know, to an organization, but either to a cause of an issue, but also to a person, I think. Oh, yes. Relationships um, are so important. Yeah. Yes. And having those authentic and transparent relationships are so important, mm-hmm. whether that's with a person or with an organization. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Dennis, you know, would you be totally shocked if Churchill Service would call itself something else? I'm aware that there have been some discussions along that line, just as I'm aware that there are discussions 
in my denomination, the Church of the Brethren, about changing that name. Oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, it's the it's the uh, the women from the traditionalist generation who are most opposed. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. I would like to take both of you to another area and to ask you if you have to name uh, one colleague, an ex-colleague in your uh, cases, uh, a partner of CWS or a supporter of CWS um, who best embodies what CWS is about, according to you. Who will you name and why? You, you might put on that list Fletcher Farrar, a donor from Springfield, whom I led to uh, a deeper understanding of church world service and how, how it works and what's important, what makes us unique. He was giving significant support during my time. And I have a hunch that uh, his support may have become even more significant since I left. No, and, and I really appreciate you, you mentioning, you know, one of our supporters, because I, I think, yeah, what I didn't realize when I was still working in the so-called field in Indonesia, but, but you know, realized when I started to work in, in the US is, yeah, the number of, of supporters, uh, and that goes from $1 to thousands of dollars that they give year in year out and um yeah faithful and and uh passionate about uh, church world service and uh yeah you know that that is not only due to the work that cws is doing well around uh, the globe but also you know the relationships that were built by by uh my colleagues and people like you dennis so so uh, um yeah you know th thanks for for lifting that up can I say also, I mean, yeah. I would be remiss not to say this, but um, I actually, my dad is one, another one at the top of the list. Mm, yeah, yes. And I don't know if I've ever told him this, but to me, he embodies what church world service is all about. Um, I mean, so much so that he made it his, his vocation and his avocation, so... Yeah, can I, you know, if, if you're asked to, you know, to tell an anecdote or an experience about your time with CWS to, a, you know, a complete stranger or to me, you know, <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, yeah, well, you know, to, to uh, do you have, I'm, I'm sure you have many stories, but, you know, which stories would you share that, that, uh, and it can be a fun story or, or, you know, a sad story, but, but uh, something that, yeah, that you carry around because uh, it, it uh, yeah, it made you who you are today. I think church world service has been such a part of my life that um, how can it not be part of what made me who I am today? Um, uh, I didn't get to travel overseas to see a church world service project until after I left church world service. Um, that was both very powerful for me. It was a powerful experience for me, but also bittersweet because I had I had really wanted to. I, I, in order to help me better tell the church world service story in my work, I had long wanted to visit some of our programs. Um, so, yes, it was very fulfilling to be able to travel and 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 see some of our work. It was bittersweet that I wasn't able to do that before I left church world service. But one of the um, happier stories that comes to mind and um, and almost almost as powerful was uh, we had a nearly company wide meeting slash retreat in I think it was Florida. Maurice, I think that's when you and I first met. Mm -hmm. Daytona. And yes, yes. 
And I remember that was the first time actually that I had met a lot of the people whose names I had only seen in print or written in print so far to that point who who were leading our programs overseas. And, and you know, it's one thing to know. It's, it's one thing to know all the work that's happening, but then to be able to put faces with that work. And I, I just remember sitting in, in one of the large meeting rooms and just looking around and, and seeing you and Jack Dunford and, um, and others that I'm like, oh my gosh, these are like, they're on the ground. <laughs> doing this work and and we're all part of that work even if we are located halfway around the world and I, I just remember that moment being really powerful for me no and and for me you know and being on the other side it was equally a, uh, yeah a moment that I still cherish because then I you know I, I started to understand this enormous group of people that were trying to raise money for the work was being done around the world I had no it was all abstract so so uh, so it's funny that you mentioned that because for us it was very similar you know the first time we saw yeah a lot a lot of the people if not yeah almost everybody uh, was there so it was great Dennis I, I know you have you know thousands of, of stories so what which one would you like to share I feel like I'm coming up dry uh, on the uh, on the downside, a story on the need for persistence requires perhaps a little background. And this comes from my work in Vietnam. Hmm. Uh, there are not uh, undertakers or funeral homes in Vietnam. The wakes happen. In the, in the home, in the residence. And I remember a day when it followed several days, perhaps even a week of heavy fighting up in the hills. That was far enough away from us that it didn't bother us. But when I went out to work in a village, I always had a backup plan because you, didn't have appointments in the village and there weren't telephones, goodness sakes. You just chose your day and went out, showed up. And this day, on one day by, uh, we left the, the house at probably around eight o'clock in the morning. And by noon, we were back at the house where we lived in Tumki, having been to three wakes, three viewings in one morning. And of course, we got no church service work done. I feel like I ought not leave people with that as the only anecdote because uh, church service work was fulfilling for me enough that with a couple of key opportunities, I spent my life there, which is on another side, probably a part of why I, why we are, we, my wife and I, are financially quite comfortable in our retirement. I was able to spend my entire career with one organization. Yeah. I would be I would be willing to guess that whether it's here in the States or in Vietnam, there are a number of people who would have some very uplifting and powerful stories about church world service related to their relationship and interaction with my dad. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Um, I, I know that you all, I know that for sure. Um, but, but 
you know, yeah, you know, getting back to what you was sharing, Dennis, I, I think, of course, you know, church will service, um, its work and, and, and what is happening. Yeah, of course, you have, you know, highs and lows and you, uh, life and death is part of, of the work. So that's also part of the stories. I mean, you know, if you ask me to, to think back about my work in, in, in Indonesia, Yes, I can, you know, tell you about um, the food for work projects that we did or the nutrition interventions that really made a big impact. But I would also have to tell you about, you know, my staff colleagues who who um, uh, lost 14 to 15 of their family members as a result of the tsunami. Uh, right. And so that's that's all part of, of that story. And um, yeah, but ultimately you know, working together, uh, taking care of each other, that helps you to, to get through this. I'm not certain why this is the case, but I often, I'll say, come back in my reminiscences about my time with church world service to some of the uh, overseas trips that I took as staff together with a group of other staff. And though we were all crop hunter walk people, we were in many other ways quite diverse and had great variances in our time and experience with church world service. And there would come times when I could explain something to somebody that uh, they simply weren't getting it. I remember one time in, in Pakistan, we were shown a vegetable that was a root crop the size of your forearm, more or less, and told that it was a radish. And we had young women in the group going on and on. No, that's not a radish. That can't be a radish. On and on and on. And I just let them finish and then calmed them down a bit and then told them why a botanist would classify this as a radish and then pointed out to them that just because botanists classify this as a rad radish does not mean that it serves the same function in the diet of the Pakistanis that the little round red things play in our diet. Yeah. And then there was opportunity for the Pakistani partner staff who were traveling with us to explain what function this crop that looked like an overgrown carrot, but it was white. Well, how that, what role that played in the diet of Pakistani folk. And I kind of enjoyed those opportunities. Yeah. No, and, and, and uh, yeah, yesterday, yesterday or two days ago, I had to be part of a class at the Seattle University and to tell about, you know, my journey and, and work. and. What you realize is in our work, you know, we are very fortunate in being exposed to different cultures, perspectives, things that are different. And so we are not surprised, not that often surprised as other people that, you know, have been more confined to their own context. And I think that's kind of also important. Um, and while we are, you know, we are seeing so many challenges at the, in the world today. And, and um, you know, I, I think we have a role to play, the ones that have seen more than you know our front garden to to help people see um, you know you don't have to agree but at least you understand why a person behaves differently um, I think that's kind of uh, an important step in dialogue and ultimately you know uh, peace and and uh, improve well-being for all so yeah so, so I remember a time with a group of donors when I was able to point out to the donors, it seemed to me that they weren't quite understanding this. We were in Kenya 
had uh, two of our Kenyan staff traveling with us, uh, women with university degrees. And I could point out to the donors who were traveling with us that these women had an identity in which they were Kenyan. But the people we were working with in our projects in Kenya, many of them had never been to school, spoke no English, maybe spoke a little Swahili, but were basically confined to their native language. And for them, identity, Kenyan played no part in their identity. Uh, they belonged to their ethnicity, was the word Kenyans use. And things that we, being Americans, and the two women who were with us, who were Kenyan, things that we would call tribal custom for these people held the force of law. Yeah. Very different from our North American worldview. Yeah. No, and, and what you guys were alluding to in the beginning, right, in terms of how the war in Vietnam is called by, you know, in the U.S. and by how it's called in Vietnam, that, that's, uh, you know, an ultimate example of, of, uh, of how these things uh, work, um, how they play. Yeah, um, the American war distinguish yeah. it from the French war. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, yeah, you know, I, I'm I'm taking a lot of of your time already. I would like to to um, go to the question about: Is there anything that you would like to say or wish for the organization? I must confess I've not made any notes on that question. Would it help if I went and gave you some time to think, Dad? It wouldn't hurt because I've got nothing <laughs> right now. <laughs> um, I think that as, as we learn and see more about how how decisions that our society has made over the generations continues to impact our global neighbors, especially those in the global south. Um, and, and in fact, how some of those ramifications are now accelerating. I think the work of church world service is even more important now than it has ever been. And so I just, I encourage everyone with the organization to, um, to remain focused on on the values that have shaped church world service over the last 75 years and to use those to, to guide all of you into the future so that we can all enjoy and participate and experience our lives to the fullest, no matter what where we live or what our circumstances are. Thank should you. I have talked slower? I should have talked slower, Dad, sorry. <laughs> Uh, I, I am led to comment that uh, thinking of the, the next 10 years for church world service, uh, I'll be quite interested to see what becomes of the immigration and refugee program as it used to be, mm -hmm. uh, knowing that this will be dictated to some degree by policies that the United States government chooses to implement, but can also be influenced by our commitment as Christians to the stranger among us. Mm -hmm. I, I'm thinking of, a, of another turning point. Mm -hmm. I think I'm not stretching things too much to put what together what I'm about to put together. But uh, in 
1979, the year I came to work for church World service in Vietnam. Uh, you mean 1969, Dad? 19, no, 79, the year I began to work for church World service in the States. In the States, okay. The Vietnamese invaded Cambodia and drove out Pol Pot. And there were, was a tremendous flood of mainly Cambodian refugees into Thailand. And we had every NGO in the country, in the world, it seemed like, falling over one another, mm -hmm. trying to work with those people. And Church World Service decided to work inside Cambodia, which was not popular with the United States State Department. And they made that clear by adjusting the rules relating to payments for reimbursement for shipment of commodities overseas by NGOs, which I think probably hastened the end of food for work in church world services programming. Yeah, because you you remind me of of because I had some a similar experience when Timor Leste became or East Timor became independent. I was at that time the country director in Indonesia, and I was criticized for not going into East Timor to help. Uh, but my answer was very similar to what you know in, in terms of the situation, um, you know, Cambodia and, and the border, because I said every NGO went into Timor Leste. They are, are falling over on top of each other and. Nobody is working on the other side, where there are thousands and thousands of, of displaced people as a result of this independence war as well. So we work there. After two years, most of those NGOs will have left, and then we will go to Timor-Leste, and that's what happened. And we are still there, actually, and, and the majority of those NGOs are gone, right? We are one of the few that still helps out this one of the poorest countries on, on Earth, and, you know, until uh, today, so... Uh, that's what I like about CWS. That, um, and I hope we will continue to do that. And not afraid to, to speak out, or not afraid to lose out on money because um, you know that's what you need to do now because that's where the money is. But that we make decisions on the basis of what, where do we think we need to play a role at this moment in time? And sometimes yeah. that's big money, sometimes that's small. Um, but yeah. it goes back to the impact that you want to make go back to the mission of the organization, which, you know, not not uh, every NGO is willing to do because they think about the sustainability. And I do understand that it is a difficult dance. I, you know, I'm not saying we have never made those decisions, but... Um, yeah, Church World Service lost out on money. Yeah. They decided to work in yes. Cambodia. Yeah. It was government money for reimbursement to, for shipping things in the United States to all over the world. Yeah. Uh, because the, the State Department, as I said, adjusted the rules and made that money available for shipping commodities given to the NGO. So we were high and dry. I mean, I know that that you that that it's, you know racial justice is close to your heart as well. Well, so, I mean, I can uh, I can say a couple quick things. Yes, I mean, yes, they'll be yes. relatively quick. So, yeah. organizationally, mm -hmm. I think that um, that especially well, any institution that was founded in the U.S. or or in you know a, a, the majority culture mm -hmm. um, type setting was essentially built using the social and institutional norms that have been in existence in our society for generations. Mm -hmm. And, um, and, and whether, whether we're conscious of it or not, many of those norms and policies and practices were based on power structures. 
and um, and and the church is not immune to that, and church-related organizations are not immune to that. And so I, I do think that the time has come, if not already passed, for organizations to take a serious look at, at, um, at the role that they play in both historically and moving forward in, in whether or not they are upholding um, inequitable norms and, and practices as an institution. So related to that, I mean, to... to Church World Service as an organization. Um, as far as Church World Service's work around the world, I, I kind of alluded to this earlier, but uh, many of, of the decisions that have resulted in uh, income and life disparities around the world have been the result of decisions made by uh, so-called Western, um, predominantly white societies that have then negatively impacted what many now refer to as the global south, but uh, essentially black and brown uh, uh, global neighbors. And again, not saying that all of those things were made intentionally to uphold power structures, although I think some of them, many of them were, I, I think that in order to address issues related to poverty, homelessness, climate change, uh, 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 violence and displacement, we have to have a conversation about mm -hmm. uh, about how racial and social injustice has played a role in all of that. So that's in a nutshell, that's mm -hmm. that's what I think. We have to come to terms with with how we as a society, as a North American society, have avoided conversations about race mm -hmm. because it makes it makes people of the dominant culture uncomfortable. And um and you know they many just want to they don't want to talk about the things that make make them feel bad make them um uh, make them feel defensive i mean who who does who likes to talk about stuff like that you know mm -hmm. but we can't just gloss over it and then expect everything to be unified and you know um rainbows and butterflies and unicorns we have to lean in and have those hard conversations so mm. that we can break down then those barriers and those systems that have been built up generation over generation over generation over generation before we truly can transcend mm. issues of of racial injustice one thing that's come clear to me mm -hmm. in recent years this may be an aside or it may be Jermaine, Jermaine uh, listening to, overhearing the Vietnamese language bloggers on the Vietnamese YouTube channels. The Vietnamese concept of racial justice and racial constructs does not match the one held by emerging thoughtful people in North America. You know, it's it's not the dominant culture, which is overwhelmingly white, and all the other cultures. With the Vietnamese, it would be Chinese, Vietnamese, Koreans, Japanese, and Northern Hemisphere white people in one category, and darkies in the other category. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. And that's another that's another component of that whole conversation is the different worldviews and and yeah. and understandings that that everyone brings to the table, which I would imagine probably makes some of the conversations at Church World Service even more challenging because it is a global organization. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much, you both. I, I really enjoyed having daughter and 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 dad here. Um, I don't know if you ever did an exercise like this together, but um, yeah, I don't think we have. No, that's great. You did well together. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> yeah, th thank you so much for your willingness to talk with me. So, it's a Thanks. great pleasure. Thanks. Thanks for the invitation. It was interesting. <laughs> And and Dennis, you know for sure your your um, your work is is still appreciated and and uh, still very much present. So uh, thank you so much. Thank you. Okay.
okay. Thank you for listening to Walk, Talk, Listen. Please check us out on 100mile.org or follow us on Facebook or Instagram. And if you want to know more about Churchful Service, please go to cwsglobal.org.